Welcome to Mission to Grow, the small business guide to cash, compliance, and the war for talent. I'm your host, Mike Vinoy. Each week, we'll bring you experts in accounting, finance, human resources, benefits, employment law, and more. You'll learn ways to access capital through creative financing and tax strategies, tactical information you need to stay compliant with ever-changing employment laws, and people strategies you need to win the war for talent. Mission to Grow is sponsored by Assure. Assure helps more than 100,000 businesses get access to capital, stay compliant, and develop the talent they need to grow. Enjoy the show. CTA, the Corporate Transparency Act. Hi, I'm Mike Vinoy, your host of Mission to Grow. So we're going to unpack a law that I think most business owners have no idea exists. This thing passed back in 2021, uh, but there's a good reason most businesses didn't know about it is because you didn't have to comply directly. Your bank complied for you. Uh, uh, what the heck does that mean? We'll unpack it all today. Uh, got a great guest today, Chris Bell. Uh, Chris is an attorney. Uh, he heads the compliance work at Assure, uh, specializing in money transmission, Bank Secrecy Act, anti-money laundering, know your customer, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, interesting. Chris actually has a background. He used to work for the state of Texas banking regulators. He was literally part of the team that helped write the rule book when it comes to uh, money transmission laws, uh, anything that deals with moving money for banking and now payroll companies, uh, he's, he's out of front row seat. So welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks, Mike. Lightly with you. So let's maybe start out if we could, Chris, definitionally. Let, let's first help, because I think most people don't even know what CTA, the, the Corporate Transparency Act is. Let's define it and then probably unpack why it is that it, up until now, it's been okay to not know what it is. Absolutely. So, Mike, what the CTA, the Corporate Transparency Act, uh, this was a law that Congress passed in 2021 uh, that essentially rewrites the laws regarding the collection of what's called beneficial ownership information in this country. Um, and I like to think of it, uh, in the words of Stephen Covey, a paradigm shift. Under the old paradigm, when any time a business went into a bank to open up an account, the one, you know, any financial service, the bank would ask that business a few questions, right? Uh, and one of the questions, um, you know, ever since Dodd Frank you know, has been, you know, please disclose owns this business. Uh, business owners will be familiar with having to disclose that any owner that owns twenty five percent or more of the entity. Uh, as well as, you know, the individual result, the most control over the entity. Yep. So paradigm is shifting uh, because now, as a result of the Corporate Transparency Act, instead of banks asking that question of businesses, now Congress has uh, changed the law to say, businesses, you must proactively register with the federal banking regulators and provide the same information that you would provide to a bank just directly to the government. And then the government's then telling the banks, hey, thanks, you, you, so you had to ask these questions. Now you can simply log on to this database that the regulators have built so that you can fulfill your collection. So it seems obvious to me why this sat with, the responsibility sat with bankers. Yeah. I'm going to loan you money. You're going to open an account in my, in, in my uh, institution. Um, I'm going to be obviously in the middle of moving money for you. Part stick me in the middle of preventing the bad actors here, right? Right. Um, 
Why do you think that they, the Congress made this change? This seems like, you know, we, I mean, we do our best on this show to advocate for the small business owner and, and they're getting crushed administratively. The thing I maybe worry most about this one is they just don't even know this is a lot. I've seen zero articles on Wall Street Journal, zero, uh, uh, zero on uh, CNN, Fox, CNNBC. I don't see any news about this. But all of a sudden, here's this new regulation that's hoisted upon the responsibility of business, small business owners. Why? What, what's driving this? So, you know, for a long time in this country, you know, we have been trying to get to the bottom of shell companies and find bad actors, you know, find uh, the people who are financing terrorists, people who are doing money long. Um, and when the edict first came from Congress to, uh, you know, to get to the bottom of this, they place the onus on the financial regulators because, you know, financial regulators deal with money. And with deal with money, you have to deal with money laundering. So by the financial regulators, well, who are their main constituents? And well, that's the banks. So they said, okay, we can make a, we can make a small opera, you know, in their words, a small operational change to the banks, you know, so that on the front end, an account is opened or a service is rendered, you know, these questions get asked. Um, you know, I personally see the shifting of the onus from banks to small businesses uh, or just businesses in general, um, you know, as probably the result of some good lobbying efforts by the banks. Uh, the banks are getting in trouble and getting fined into oblivion when they break the you know, AML BSA info collection requirements. Um, so they said, you know, look, we're tired of being in the middle of this. Um, you know, and even though we may be in the best position to gather this information, um, you know, we're just tired of the of the fines and and the overregulation. So they lobbied Congress and said, Congress, you take regulatory burden off of us and just put it directly on the business. Yeah, um, and banks have much better lobbyists than just business in general. Yeah, and I hate to be so cynical, but it's probably it probably is as simple as that, right? Um, and it probably sounds really simple. Hey, the business had to provide this information to you, the bank, anyway. So how about they just provide it to whatever agency this is? Uh, easy peasy. Problem is, most business owners are busy working their face off to run their business in, in like a thing. I have not seen this on the news. Uh, this is not some big, big, you know, no, no billboards telling everybody, uh, business owners that they now have to register. Uh, so, so I think that's why this topic is really, really important. It's just a, maybe a bit of a dry legalistic topic we're covering today, but super, super important because, because no one's talking about this. Um, Chris, what, if you had to say one thing that uh, you want people to walk away from it, we're going to talk here for maybe an hour-ish. What one thing is really important that small business owners understand about uh, the Corporate Transparency Act for 2024 if they're trying to grow their business? Sure. Um, and, you know, I guess my key takeaway from this is to remember, now, if you um, are... If you are a corporation, a limited liability company, any business form where you had to file with the Secretary of State to create your business, then if you don't meet one of the you know uh, 23 exemptions under this new law, then you will have a reporting requirement annually. Uh, if you don't meet that reporting requirement, 
then you're going to pay some fines. Uh, and we want you to you know, avoid that because the requirements are actually really simple to comply with, but it's just one more thing yeah. that you have to do instead of running your business. Uh, you, know, you do have this reporting requirement. So that's the, that's the thing I want people to remember is just not to forget about this. Make sure you check this particular box. So let's talk fines. What, 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 what kind of teeth does this have? If, if you don't follow the, whether it's because you thumbed your nose at it and said this is stupid or whether you just, you didn't comply because you didn't know, which would be the, the case in mo- that for, for most folks here. You know, wh- how, how much, how, how bad could this get? Okay. So I'm going to answer that way. I'm going to answer that question in two ways, right? Um, first, there's always money. And $500 a day up to $10,000. So essentially, you'd be looking up to a $10,000 fine for not complying with this law. Um, when you get into looking at it, thumbing your nose at it because it's stupid, um, you know, then, or as the law calls it, willful noncompliance, um, actually be looking at jail time. It actually carries up to, you know, carries criminal penalties in addition to the civil penalties. Wow. Okay. So... Probably not making some predictions that people are going to go to jail, but this is this is the criminal act not to follow. This is this might sound small and simple, but this is real deal. You, you, you gotta you gotta follow it. So ten uh, five hundred dollars a day up to ten thousand dollars. When does the clock start ticking? When must businesses comply with this law? Okay. So this answer comes down to. Um, I know Mike uh, always likes to uh, laugh at me when I say every lawyer's answer always uh, starts with the phrase. It let me, let me, yeah, I was going to say, I'll finish the sentence for you. It depends. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, it depends on when your business starts or started. If you were in operation on 12-31-23, you have until January 1 of 25 to get registered. If you come into being, you're formed, after 1124, you have 90 days from the day you are formed under the state laws or wherever, you, wherever you're formed to register with FinCEN, the federal regulator. And FinCEN is just a group of, of state, I'm sorry, a group of federal banking regulators all in one group called FinCEN. Okay. So, so basically two buckets. You've got to comply by Jan 1, 25. If you're an existing business, you've been around, been around for a while. If you're a new business, you have 90 days to comply from what articles of incorporation, something like that. So uh, anyone who you know, actually wants to start diving into the literature on this, um, when the act was first passed by Congress, it was actually 30 days. Um, but uh, through some some good lobbying efforts, that 30 has now been changed to 90. So if you if you form, you know, from one one twenty four forward, right? Because this goes in perpetuity. Um, yeah. You have now ninety days after you're formed to register with Vincent. So before we get into the mechanics of what technically someone has to do, because I do think it's pretty simple. You're gonna, you're gonna make that clear. Can can you back into maybe the 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 the, the broader picture? You know. What, it's this, it's this beneficial ownership. You know, uh, a lot of people, I think, were first introduced into this concept twenty uh, twenty, filling out PPP loan applications. Pe- beneficial ownership. What does this mean? Hmm, do I qualify for PPP? Do I qualify for ERTC? 
tax credits. Uh, and and uh, and I'll kind of answer my own question a little bit. Basically, a lot of these programs are trying to understand like tax credits, the ERTC. Wonderful thing. Uh, get it if you can still before the clock runs out. Um, but it was meant for small businesses. And so uh, if you have, if it's meant for under 100 employees and I've got uh, three businesses, 50 employees each, but I own all three of them, different EINs. Well, I own one entity. I have beneficial ownership of a 150 employee company and I don't qualify. Right. So, so this beneficial ownership concept, I, I think, is all over the IRS code for different reasons. Can, can you kind of back into why is the concept of beneficial ownership so important when it comes to uh, the Corporate Transparency Act? Sure. And so, you know, as the name implies, corporate transparency, what they're really trying to crack down on are shell companies that are being formed to facilitate money laundering or terrorist financing. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can isolate you know, and look behind the corporate veil and say, who owns these companies, right? Uh, then you are in a much better position, theoretically, to, to curtail money laundering and, and terrorist financing. Yeah. The only thing I know about money laundering is from when I, watching the show Ozark. Uh, uh, but I think you learn a lot watching that show. Um, but it makes sense, right? So that you're not going to create a bunch of shell companies and all you're doing is moving money from one pocket, from your left pocket into your right pocket, from this company to that company. And so ultimately they have to have EINs if they roll up to common ownership, that's how they can track movement of money. Am I, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, and they're, they're looking behind these entities, right? To say, are you using company A to transmit money to company B? To transmit money to company C, and basically throughout the process, you're turning bad money into good. Uh, yeah, you know. Yeah. So uh, the the Corporate Transparency Act is going to look at companies A, B, and C, and say, companies A, B, and C, you have to register with the federal banking regulators to tell us who owns these companies. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. a beneficial owner um, under the you know, basically the old and the new definitions are anyone who has an equity stake of 25% or more directly or indirectly, right? So let, let's visualize, what, what does that mean? Because yeah, that's a lot yeah. of words. Um, if I own company A, I own it 100%. Uh, company A now owns company B, right? Company B is a subsidiary of company A. Yep. Well, what the analysis is looking for, I call it the warm body rule, right? You look up the chain to see who, who, you know, at what level do you have to stop to find a warm body who could own 25% or more? If I own company A and A owns B, then I'm a beneficial owner for company B because I own 100% of the parent company. Yeah. So I'm a beneficial owner of both company A and company B. And, and to be clear, there could be really good, legitimate tax strategy, trust slash tax strategic reasons to do yes. very sophisticated uh, entity strategies, yes. right? So, anyway. yeah. So, so we're not we're not poo pooing have you know the concept of shell companies and wholly owned subsidiaries and and. Uh, of the protection of assets across multiple LLCs. There's lots of really good reasons for complex entity structures. 
but unless you can tie them all together, you know, the government has a hard time tracing the money to know if you're doing, if you're a good actor or a bad actor, right? Right. Oh, I, I bet. Sometimes I, I think that the government just assumes you're a bad actor until you prove that you're good. Um, but, you know, that's actually part of what this, this law does uh, through the registration. Chris, let me ask, then, ask this. So, and to be clear, the purpose of the show is to share the best information we possibly can to help small businesses grow their company um, in doing so in a compliant way. Um, that said, there's lots of employment law that um, it's not like speeding and there's somebody uh, j uh, over the hill with a radar gun that, oh, you were five miles over the speed limit. It, in the world of HR and employment law, it's like, okay, it's illegal to discriminate, um, but I didn't think I was discriminating by hiring someone to, who uh, could do such and such because they had to lift heavy equipment and but it turns out I'm actually discriminating based on, say, gender, whatever, uh, because I didn't have good job descriptions. But so a lot of times employers get themselves in trouble uh, in, I hate to say the word gray area, uh, but it's not like there's the HR police that are looking to say, gotcha. It's usually the result of a lawsuit. A disgruntled employee uh, makes a claim maybe the to a Department of Labor, to the EEOC to an attorney who files a, a claim with one of those agencies, how does, how, how does someone get caught? Um, I want to dissuade someone from thinking, oh, this is yet another HR law. I'll just, I'll just, I'll just ignore this one. Like what, what does the enforcement mechanism look like for will people get away with this? And I'm, I'm assuming the answer is no. So, I mean, basically the way I would think about this, uh, is the government actually has a way of knowing who files and who doesn't. Um, you know, uh, every business that I know of uh, has to pay their taxes. Yeah. You file a tax return with the IRS. Well, IRS is a member of FinCEN, or at least it's closely associated with FinCEN. Yeah. Um, so basically, it would be really easy for the government to say, hey, here is a database of every LLC in the country, let's just compare that to the BOI database, the Beneficial Ownership Information Database, to see who's on there versus who's not. Yeah. It's a pretty easy way to actually catch. Honestly, that one, that's probably the most frustrating thing to me of all, because as, a, as a, an entrepreneur myself, it's like, I already filed my taxes. You, you can triangulate me based on my tax returns in the EINs that I file taxes for, yeah. why are you putting this on me? And this, so like, I'm highly empathetic to the small business owner. This is, this all of a sudden becomes yet another thing, right? Maybe before we talk the mechanics of how to do it, which is simple. Mm -hmm. um, this is more of an awareness issue than it is a, a difficulty to execute issue. Um, there are some exemptions. What, what are the exemptions? I, I think you listed said there's 23 you don't have to list all 23. Maybe we'll include that. We'll, let's, we'll, I, I, I will commit to this. We'll get a credible source, uh, an authoritative source of the 23. We'll list it in show notes for people to, to, to click and navigate to. But share with us some of the biggies. Who, who would be exempt from this? Sure. So I kind of think of these in a, in a couple of bites. Uh, you know, I think of 
First, if you're a regulated entity, and what I mean by that is you're a financial institution, if you're accounting, uh, if you are a commodities trading business, if you are a business that has to already register with the federal government, um, then you're probably exempt. That, that actually takes up most of the exemptions. That's okay. bucket number one, a regulated company. A regulated company, okay. The second bucket would be um, what's known as the you know, large operating exemption. Um, and there's basically two figures to, to keep in mind on that. Uh, just like you were saying with the PPP, there are certain thresholds. One threshold for this exemption is 20 full-time employees um, in the United States, especially prongs of physical presence uh, you know, operating in the U.S., as well as on your tax return, having $5 million in gross sales or receipts. Um, so if you are that big, then you're going to be exempt from the, um, you know, from the registration requirements. And to be clear, because this is super ironic when you and I were talking about this earlier, it's not if you're smaller than that, you're exempt, which you, you would think intuitively would be like, okay, we're not going to punish the small uh, 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 entrepreneur here. It's if you have more than 20 employees and if you have more than 5 million in revenue in your tax return, then you're exempt. So this is really only a requirement for smaller businesses, a.k.a. Main Street, right? And that's, you know, I have philosophical differences, uh, of course, uh, you know, with this kind of, uh, you know, with this kind of law. Um, I could reason that maybe the reason they're trying to exempt larger companies is if you're a larger company and you have that many employees and you're doing that much in, in business, maybe they just presume that you are legitimate a legitimate business. Remember, they're trying to the non-operating right. shell companies with this with this law. But that's reasonable because if you're a bigger company, whether it's reasonable or not, I'm just trying to rationalize why that might be. If I have more than 20 employees, presumably some of them are not family members or part of my criminal syndicate because right. uh, I'm paying them W-2s and therefore I'm filing taxes. They're filing taxes. Maybe this is really targeting the micro business with few to zero employees right. who a shell company may be solely set up for the movement of money. Is that probably a good way to think about it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, assuming positive intent, uh, that's exactly what I would, that's how I would say it. Um, you know, unfortunately, right, I'm an attorney in the real world and I look at the practical effects of what this does. And what yeah. this does is it saddles, uh, you know, the mom and pop shop on Main Street with one more regulatory burden. It's not right. hard to comply with. Don't get me wrong, but failure to comply can, you know, set you back ten grand. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and when I think of, you know, you know, Mike, the sole proprietor of Mike's Pizzeria, you know, getting hit with, you know, ten thousand dollars, you know, while his profit margins are already razor thin, you know. While, while the government has some reason for doing things maybe the way it's doing, the practical effect is Mike at Mike's Pizzeria is the one to suffer because of this presumption. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's exactly how I feel. Like, I understand I'm all about stamping out crime and, and, and whatnot, but, and the burden is just so high on business owners these days. It's in, 
Right. Every time there's a new law passed, the old, there's not an old one that goes away. It's uh, they just keep stacking these, up on top. These of are each other. these are cumulative. They're so, like snowfall. Yeah. It's it's you lawyers. It's your fault. Uh, okay. uh, and then that third bucket is if you are a subsidiary of one of these other types of companies, then you're likely exempt. Um, if you're only doing this, if you're exempt at your parent company level, make sure to look at the exemptions specifically the subsidiary exemption, because there are some exceptions to the subsidiary exemption. Um, for example, one of the exemptions under the regulated company bucket is for a money service business at the federal level. Of course, I'm a, I am a regulatory compliance attorney for a payroll company. We're registered uh, you know, with Vincent as a money services business. Yeah. Um, but um, you know, we have that registration at, higher up on the corporate organization chart. Um, our subsidiaries under that would not be exempt just because they're a subsidiary of a money services business, for example. Um, so if you're relying on a subsidiary exemption, make sure you look at it closely. Make sure you really fit in those, uh, you know, in one of those buckets. Okay. Um, any other... Uh legal aspects that business owners should be thinking about and be considering when when registering with FinCEN. And the, I think that's probably we'll, where we'll wrap on just the practical steps of what it, and people, I think you're going to be shockingly disappointed at how simple it probably is going to be and we'll provide the links. Um, but but it's so critical to get it right. So what, what other considerations should business owners be making? Well, um, in... We, you know, to step back, right, what, what kind of information am I reporting as a business owner? Uh, you know, basically, it's normal stuff. It's your name, it's your date of birth, your address, your social security number, and your identification, identification being your driver's license, your passport, any of those government issues. Personal identification, not tax ID you're talking about so Correct. far. Yeah. Correct. Because the business owners are reporting personally that they personally own these businesses. Yeah. Right? So... Um, same kind of information you have to provide as a person when you open a checking account. That's the kind of information you're going to have to provide here. Um, you know, something practical, make sure your ID is not expired because you're going to have to upload a copy of it to FinCEN and their website. So make sure that if you're going to use your passport, make sure it's not expired. Same thing for your driver's license. So it's something small. I just know that anytime I need a current document, I never can lay my hands on it. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's let's get down to it. So you you keep talking about this FinCEN thing. What what the, what the heck is FinCEN? Uh, lay it out who the organization is and what very specifically does a business owner have to do to register with FinCEN? Sure, FinCEN is a, is basically a group of federal bank regulators. Um, you know, and FinCEN has a website. That you go to is, uh, is it is it an acronym? Does it does FinCEN mean something? That fin FinTech? What I mean? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it does. It's just not something that uh, I keep on the tip of my tongue. All right, all right. I I stumped the attorney. A good thing for me. I, I, there you go. Uh, I mean, I'm Mike one Mike one Chris 110. There we go. Well, I'm, you know, I'm sure you know. Sin of course comes from financial, and sin uh, comes probably from the word central. Um, that they, you know, they wanted some central regulatory authority over uh, the other federal banking regulators. Yeah. Um, 
But you know, Finson.gov is their is their website. Uh, and if you go to Finson.gov, there is there are links right now to I, I think they call it BOI reporting, beneficial ownership information, BOI, because the government can't resist an acronym, whether it's good or not. Um, and you know, you'll go through and and you know click on the buttons. Um, there's a online form to fill out uh, where you'll put in all the information. There are buttons to attach copies of your uh, government identification, um, and you submit. Uh, practically, you know, as a as an attorney, I would always say make sure that you're printing uh, proof of your submission. Um, I know when I file with Vincent on behalf of the Assurer family of companies, I always do a you know print of the form itself into a PDF, stick those PDFs into the file. I I do it on the form I'm submitting. Uh, save the email that I get to say it has been filed. Um, I'm not sure on this one if they do a multiple round of emails. I know with Benson, sometimes on the registration, they email you once to say, hey, we got it. Then they email you again to say, okay, we accept it. Um, and then I go a step further, farther because I'm paranoid about the government and it's fine. Um, usually you can actually go and uh, search these things to see if you're filed. And I'll actually search and then do a print screen of the results showing that I registered. Um, and I just any, any practical hard. advice for the somewhat less OCD among us than uh, <laughs> um, you know, I, I I I treat this just like I do tax returns, right? Uh, yeah. You know, I keep them for years, and uh, that way, if any if anyone from you know the government shows up and says you owe me ten thousand dollars because you failed to register. I pull out that email and go, nope, I registered. It's right here. I mean, where where in my where in my practical business owner hat, running around with hair on fire, trying to keep your business alive and not worried about administrative crap? Mm -hmm. Take this thing out right here. Take a picture of the screen. It's going to be instantly uploaded to the cloud and never think about it again unless you had to. So, I mean, I, I think it's really good advice, Chris. I, I I joke. Those are those are. Those are probably the most extreme right way to do it in backups of your backups and paper and whatnot. But, but I do think it's really smart to, if nothing else, take a picture of your screen. And if you're on an iOS device, it's going to be up to the cloud and Android, same thing. I mean, so lot, lots of, lots of really easy ways to create some backup for this to make sure you're covered. Well, I just, I just think of these as, you know, that's a $10,000 email. That's one I don't want to lose. Yeah, that's that, that that's a that's a smart way of thinking about it. Chris, anything else that you'd want to share with our whatever you use? So you mentioned you mentioned the website fincen.gov. We'll put the link into the show notes for everybody. Um, the law itself, you said there's 23 exemptions. You listed some of them. Basically, all Main Street mainstream small businesses are going to have to comply with this, but we will, I want to provide a link to make sure people can understand and read the exemptions. Um, quick question. If you qualify as an exemption, this seems painless enough. You may as well register anyway, right? If you're unsure. I mean, if you're unsure, I, you know, I, I don't really see why it would hurt. Is there, can you, can you think of a downside? Well, I personally don't like to do anything unless I have to, especially, relates to talking with the government yeah. um, because you know, anything you can, you know, anything you say can and will be used against you at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, 
And I don't want to, I personally wouldn't register and, you know, if I clearly met an exemption, because if I, if I, you know, if I meet it, when I register, I have an abundance of caution this year, but I don't next year. And I go, oh, yeah, I don't really care. I was exempt anyway. Well, then you, then you have to spend a lot of time, maybe later, explaining why you didn't register. Okay. Okay. You know, so I just don't want to. So I think we're, so the, that, that's good. That's good feedback. So the mission here is read the rules. We'll stick them in the show notes. If you qualify under the one of 20, or the 23 exemptions, don't. If you're not sure, ask your attorney, get, get, a, get a professional uh, uh, opinion. Um, but if you think you qualify, if, if you think you don't uh, qualify for the exemptions, then you click the link we'll provide. You register with FinCEN. It's probably, I'm guessing it's just a few minutes, not a difficult job to do, uh, and you're good. So a super simple thing to do could be super expensive not to do it. Well, okay. as, I, as I've told you, Mike, uh, you know, one of my favorite clients in a former job had an email signature that said, if you think compliance is expensive, Try non-compliance. Yeah, right. That's right. That's right. Chris, uh, always enjoy talking to you. Uh, really very much appreciate your expertise, not just from a legal perspective, but I think just the practicality and real world view that you bring to it. So thank you. And to thanks to everybody else for joining Mission to Grow today. That wraps our show. Until next week, if you got value from today, like, share, comment. Uh, uh, we'd love to bring this information to all small business owners. Thanks until next week. That's it for this episode of Mission to Grow. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and more episodes, visit us at missiontogrow.com. If you found this content valuable, I invite you to share it with a friend and subscribe to the show. If you really want to help, I'd love it if you left a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen. Mission to Grow is sponsored by Assure. Assure helps more than 100,000 businesses get access to capital, stay compliant, and develop the talent they need to grow. To learn more about how Assure can help your business grow, visit assuresoftware.com. Until next time.